Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, before I begin this morning's message, I have a few things to share with you first. is a, a word of thank you and gratitude from Cindy and me about our celebration last Sunday. You were so incredibly kind and affirming and uh, generous, and it, it really... Uh, just overwhelmed us. And so we thank you for being the loving church that you are and uh, for continuing to allow us to lead and serve uh, in the, the church that we've called for many years the greatest church this side of heaven. We give all glory to God. Uh, the second thing is I know that so many of you, if not all of you, have been praying about what's going on in the Ukraine and in Poland where thousands upon thousands of Ukrainian refugees are uh, fleeing for their life while many Ukrainians are staying to try to uh, protect and preserve uh, their nation. Uh, and some have asked, what besides our prayers, Pastor, can we do to be of help? And there are many wonderful Christian organizations that are doing great work uh, there, especially in Poland, where the refugees uh, are coming to help provide for them and share with them not only uh, their needs, but uh, the love of Christ as well. And one of the groups uh, that is most effective in their work are our own Texas Baptist Men's Organization. Channel 2 did a series this week about the wonderful work Texas Baptist Men are doing. Uh, and if you would like to uh, contribute to that if you go to their website, texasbaptistmen.org. It's that, it's that simple, texasbaptistmen.org, and they're on their homepage. They've got several uh, things that they're involved in, including the work in Ukraine and Poland. And you, if you feel led to give an over and above offering, you can do so online uh, there. And then the third thing I want to tell you is beginning today, we're going to resume at the end of uh, the message our Come Forward Prayer and Invitation Time. Uh, we have not done that for several weeks because uh, of the pandemic, and the pandemic is still with us. People are still getting COVID, but uh, our deacon body and pastoral staff just feel like it's time to resume giving you the opportunity at the end of the service during a final song uh, to come and pray with uh, deacons and their wives that will be standing here at the front as well as uh, Cindy and I will be standing here especially to pray with anyone who needs healing and would like to be anointed and prayed over as scripture teaches. Cindy and I will be uh, honored to do that. Uh, or to pray with you about anything uh, on your heart, both here on the lower floor and in the balcony. There'll be deacons and their wives ready to pray with you. But it's also an invitation time. Uh, there are people every week that need to take the next step in their faith journey, whatever that might be. It might be the first step to step across the line of faith and trust in Christ as their Savior for the first time. Maybe somebody here today needs to take that step. You've never done that. Uh, or it may be a, a step of deepening commitment or asking for God's forgiveness for some failure. We're going to look at the life of the Apostle Peter today who failed the Lord continually and spectacularly, uh, and yet God forgave him and cleansed him and forgave uh, all of his failures in order to use him. And maybe that might be your next step 
today. But deacons and their wives and Cindy and I will be here at the end of the service to receive any who feel led to come. We're beginning a brand new sermon series today entitled Jesus, Sacrificial Lamb and Resurrected Lord. Uh, And we're going to go on a journey with Jesus uh, as well as his disciples. A journey that will lead him to the cross, a journey that will lead him out of the open tomb as a resurrected Lord, a journey that on the two weeks after Easter, Pastor Jeff will be preaching two messages, one about the Emmaus Road experience and the other about the Great Commission and the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. And so the journey begins today. And we will walk week by week with Jesus on his way to the cross, the empty tomb, and ultimately back to the side of his Father uh, in heaven. But today, we're going to look at some defining moments in the life of the Apostle Peter, who failed Jesus in the most public and egregious ways, and yet he went on to become one of the catalytic leaders of the early church, establishing churches throughout uh, the history of the early church that we see in the book of Acts. And there's something we can learn from Peter's life and Peter's failures. And I've capsulized it into one sentence. It's our main theme for today's message. It's what we call the big idea. And today, this is it. Our failures don't have to define us. They can refine us, and we'll see that as we look at Peter's life. So today, the biblical narrative is going to be uh, portrayed in four scenes. I want you to think of it as a grand drama, a, a passion play, if you will. Four scenes in four different locations, and I'll help you follow along with the narrative as we will begin in Matthew's gospel and then go on to the gospel of Luke. So, as the curtain rises and the drama begins, Jesus is on a journey with his disciples. He's in an area north of the Sea of Galilee. And as they are walking along together, Jesus, as he always did, engaged them and taught them spiritual truth. So join me, please, the biblical narrative, Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, And others say, Jeremiah are one of the prophets. Now stop here for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was asking them that because he didn't know the answer? Hardly. Well, do you think Jesus was just kind of checking out how his polling numbers were running? No, that wasn't it either. Jesus was asking his disciples a question that would set up the real question that he wanted to ask them. And he does so in verse 15. Then he asked them, 
but who do you say I am? Because Jesus knew that how they answered that question would not only determine their personal eternities, but it would determine the history of the early church. And in verse 16, Simon Peter speaks up. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I love this answer because Peter wasn't just giving the Sunday school answer. There was no Sunday school yet. Uh, Peter was not saying what he thought Jesus wanted him to say. Peter was answering from deep within his own heart a conviction about who Jesus really was. And Jesus responded to Peter's statement, verse 17. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus knew that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God, had spoken this to Peter's heart. And we sang about how he is still the same God. And you know what? That same Spirit of the living God will speak to people's heart in this room and those watching online today. That's how he works. He, he speaks to people's hearts the living truth. And there will be people listening today or maybe watching uh, later on the recording of this service or listening to the podcast. And the Spirit of God will speak to you in the same way he spoke to Peter about who Jesus really is. Because you can't just give the Sunday school answer or what you think the pastor or somebody else or your parents or, or whoever it might be wants you to say. It has to come from here. It has to come from a place of faith and conviction about who Jesus really is. And Jesus goes on to say to Peter, verse 18, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now we understand that these verses form the basis for a, a theological division among Christians today, especially with, with the Catholic Church. And I want you to hear this clearly. I'm not saying this meaning to be critical uh, of the Catholic Church or Catholic brothers and sisters, because I want to tell you, I know many Catholics who love Jesus just as much as I do. And they're just as committed to him as I am. But their theology interprets these verses to mean that Peter as an individual, as a person, and then the successors that would be chosen by the Catholic Church uh, as Peter in, in each generation would be given the authority to speak on the same level of authority as Scripture. And those of us uh, who are uh, Protestant 
don't see that that's the meaning of this. It was not talking, we believe, about Peter the individual or those who would succeed him. It is talking about the faith of Peter. It's not that Peter as a person was a rock, because we'll see later on, he wasn't all that solid sometimes. But the faith of Peter, despite his faults and failures, that kind of faith is what would build the church of the living God. And his rock-solid faith, despite his, his failures, his rock-solid faith would be used by God to establish the early church along with the Apostle Paul. And if you follow the narrative in the book of Acts, the history of the early church, you'll see that's exactly what Peter did. He had a, a faith that was petros in the Greek. It was a rock. But Peter's faith would not become rock solid without testing. And as we close scene one, and now the curtain opens on scene two, we see Jesus' warning about the testing that would come for Peter. Scene two takes place in the upper room where Jesus and the disciples had celebrated the Last Supper. And it comes after the supper is done. And during the, the Last Supper, Jesus had not only taught the disciples that those elements, the bread and the, and the cup, were foreshadowing his body and his blood that would be sacrificed for our sin, but it would also be the way that they would commemorate and we would commemorate down through the generations his sacrifice. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion or some call it the Eucharist, but it would be the, the way that we would remember his sacrifice. And during that time, you know the story, Jesus modeled perfect servanthood when he bowed down and washed the dusty feet of those men, men that he had created as co-creator of the cosmos along with the Father. He had modeled perfect servanthood. And yet what did the disciples do when the meal was done and Judas had slipped away into the night in order to betray Jesus? What did, what did they talk about? Which one of them was going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom? Who was going to be in charge? Who was going to be the, the big shot? And Jesus taught them yet again. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 22. Jesus said, you have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus was speaking prophetically to the disciples about a future glorified role they would have in the coming kingdom of God. But for Peter, that glorified role would not come until he had faced, faced testing and he was not prepared for what would come. Verse 31 comes the warning. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. 
But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now it's clear here that Jesus is telling Peter, a test is coming. Satan is, is seeking to sift you. And so Jesus says to him, after you have failed, you will repent and turn to me again. But in his overconfidence, in his arrogance, Peter is unwilling to accept that he will fail Jesus. Look at what he says to the Lord. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Can I just tell you that God values humility and our arrogance breaks his heart? Peter was arrogant. He was overconfident. He, in essence, is saying, hey, uh, Jesus, I know you're the son of the living God and, and all that, and you, you know everything, but you got this one wrong. Hey, Jesus, this is me we're talking about. Hey, I'm the star here. I'm number one. I, I couldn't possibly fail. I'm invincible. <laughs> Verse 34, but Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Don't you wish you had a video of Peter's expression when Jesus said those words in front of the other disciples? To see his jaw drop in shock that it could even be possible that he might have a failure? He was overconfident. He thought he was bulletproof. Sometimes so do we. There's a problem in the church today, post-pandemic, if we can consider ourselves yet there. There's a problem in the church, not, not just our church, I'm talking about churches, let's just say, all over America. Almost every church the average attendance and involvement has dropped by at least 25 to 30 percent. Why would that be? Are people scared to get in crowds anymore? No, not so much. They do everything else that, that involves a crowd, although there may be a few who have not yet come back, and if that's the case and that's the reason, then, then you do what you need to do. But, but what the real issue is, I fear, is that people have become overconfident and apathetic about their faith. They suddenly seem to think that they don't really need the church so much, so they have a, an involvement of convenience. They come when it's convenient, if at all. Or they don't really think it's that important that they spend time every day in the Word of God and, and meditating on its meaning and application to their life. And, and they're not really thinking every day about the, the need to be in constant prayer with the Lord Jesus and living in vital union with Him. They think, hey, I, I, I've got this, and if I need God, I can call on Him. And they have kind of a Jesus on demand. 
view of faith journey. Can I just tell you that overconfidence and apathy are dangerous places to be? Dangerous places to be. And maybe we need to insert ourselves into this story to where Peter was. Maybe we need to think that Jesus is saying, let's insert our name here, Ed, Ed. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And if you are overconfident, if you become apathetic, he will devour you. Verse 35. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. Quote, he was counted among the rebels, end quote. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Jesus was saying to them, you are about to enter the most intense season that you have ever experienced, and you need to be prepared Jesus was saying to them, the prophecy that Isaiah made in Isaiah 53, verse 12, which they knew is about to come true right before your very eyes. They were about to enter into the most intense, difficult season they had ever lived through. And can I say, we are not walking with Jesus toward the cross, but can I just draw enough of a parallel to say those of us who follow Jesus now are about to enter the most intense, difficult season we have ever lived through? That our country and our culture is about to become the most difficult it has ever been to be a faithful Christ follower? And that there is a spiritual revolution going on in our country that's not a good one. And it's already started. If you don't see it, you're not watching. Because people are moving away even from what we used to know when I was young as cultural Christianity. If people didn't believe in Jesus and the Bible, they at least had a respect for it. That's not really even true anymore. And it's becoming more and more intense and popular to demonize the things of God. So as Jesus was asking the disciples if they were ready for the battle, let me ask you, are you ready? Are you equipped with the full armor of God that Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter 6? Are you committed to the work, to the church of Jesus Christ and its mission more than you've ever been? 
By the way, this is not the time to become less committed to Christ. It's the time to become more committed to him. Are you in vital union with Jesus? Are you reading his word daily, not as a sense of obligation, check it off my list, but wanting to truly grow in what it means to follow Christ faithfully? Are you in constant communication with him in prayer so that you're living in that vital union of the vine and the branches? Are you prepared for the spiritual tsunami that's coming? Well, scene two closes here. And then scene three takes place outside the city, outside the, the close fellowship of the upper room. And they go out into the open to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's pick it up with verse 39. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. Now before we read the next verse, I want you to understand, I believe this is the most intense prayer of anguish recorded anywhere in Scripture. Jesus' humanity was dreading what was ahead. He was dreading the scourging. He was dreading the beating. He was dreading the moments when they would literally yank the beard from his face. He was dreading the the illegal and unfair trials. He was dreading having the, the nails driven through his wrists and his feet. He was dreading hanging on the cross as it was lowered with a thud down into the the ground. He was dreading all of those physical things, but the greater dread was what he knew was coming, the separation from his Father when your sin and my sin was placed upon the sinless Savior. He was dreading the separation that he had never known before. As he had said so many times, I and my Father are one. He was dreading what was coming. And so Jesus prayed, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This prayer bothers some people because they they say Jesus would be praying not to go to the cross. Then you don't understand Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And anybody with any humanity would not want to go through what Jesus was going through. But Jesus' divine nature was so much greater than his human nature that even though he understood the great torment and torture and separation from the Father that would come, he was totally committed to the will of the Father to pay for your sin and mine so that we might be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. And as he was there on the brink of physical and emotional collapse, 
the love of the Father sent a heavenly messenger. Verse 43, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. There's a misunderstanding here that's, that's common that Jesus literally, physically sweat blood droplets. That, that's not really what the scripture says. In the Greek, it reads word for word like this, became his sweat as great drops of blood. And what it really means is that Jesus was in such anguish that he was sweating so profusely that it wasn't just sweat trickling down his face. It was literally pouring from his face with great blood-like droplets. Verse 45 says, At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The cross was just hours away, but the disciples couldn't even stay awake. But then suddenly confrontation was upon them, verse 47. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And the next verse will say one of them struck out. But if you read John's gospel, it identifies who that one was. You want to take a guess? Peter. Peter, verse 50. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Peter hadn't learned after all that time with Jesus that anger and violence is not Jesus' way. It's love. It's mercy. It's compassion. It's forgiveness. And Jesus took the man and healed him. The one who had come to arrest him and put him in bondage and take him on a path that would lead to crucifixion, he took the man and healed him. Verse 52, then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. Now quickly the curtain closes on scene three, and it opens in the courtyard of the high priest's home. Peter is there 
along with the guards and others. Verse 55. The guards lit a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And suddenly the personal prophecy that Jesus had made to Peter came flooding back over him, hitting him like a runaway freight train. As he turned and his eyes met the stare of Jesus. See it, verse 61. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. So the curtain closes on today's episode, but before we're done, I I think we need to ask the question, what is it about Peter's story in today's narrative that we need to take into our faith journey? What what meaning, what application? I have three challenges for you and then I'm done, so stay, stay with me. Here's the first challenge. Guard against overconfidence or apathy in your faith journey. You know, it's when we think we've kind of got it all together, when, when we can kind of just settle in and, you know, God's been good to me, so it's, 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 it's all good. When we get overconfident or apathetic, that is exactly the time we are prone to fail. We are prone to fall. Here's the second challenge. If the enemy tells you that he can't use you, because of your past. By the way, you have a past, don't you? So do I. We all do. We all have things in our past that we look back on. If we tell the truth, we're not proud of some of those things. We wish we could do them over and do them differently. But we all have a past, as did Peter. If the enemy tells you God can't use you because of your past, then I want you to remember the failures of Peter and that God used him greatly in spite of his past. And he can you as well. Okay, one more. When you fail the Lord, and you will, you have in the past, so have I, we will in the future. When you fail the Lord, own it. Don't try to make excuses. Don't try to rationalize it away. Don't say, I I would never, blah, 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 blah. If you fail the Lord, own it and repent of it. And then walk in the fullness and the freedom of his power to overcome our greatest failures. 
because if there's one lesson we need to learn from Peter's life is that our failures don't have to define us. They can refine us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that the great men and women of the Scripture were not perfect men and women. They were flawed, weak failures that in your mercy and grace you forgave and restored and brought to a place of great usefulness in the kingdom of God. Help us to be those kind of men and women that don't let our failures, our past, define us, but become men and women of deep commitment to Christ and his church and the mission that the world might know that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, and that he offers them eternal life by grace through faith. I pray for these next moments, Lord, a time of prayer, a time of inviting people to take their next step. And I pray that if there's somebody that needs to take a step in their spiritual journey, they would come to one of these deacons and their wives and just simply say, I need to take the next step. And they'll help them do that. Lord, we won't stay long, but would you anoint this time and help us to be humble and bowed before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.